Good morning. This is Lance Kenmore with the Kenmore team, and I'd like to welcome you to this week's edition of the Tri-Cities Real Estate Update. As always, you can contact me, Lance Kenmore, anytime direct on my cell phone at 727-8977, or visit us on the web at kenmoreteam.com. Once again, I always like to thank John for hosting and everybody here at the station for working to make this happen. John McKay, how you doing? Well, just dodging the wind and the fires and everything else. Been kind of a crazy week. Yeah, no, I to- I totally know what you say. There were there were a couple here, and last weekend we were on our way to Boise and saw a couple. So it is that high fire season for sure. Yeah, I think all those uh, firefighters at my CrossFit gym were looking a little tired the last couple <laughs> weeks. So. They didn't need to go there. No, no, they didn't. No, they didn't at all. So I I know what you mean for sure. Well, McKay. So here's the deal. Last week, he was gone at an undisclosed location. You suppose he's still there? Well, Mike Denslow was missing. Now, I'm, I'm concerned because I I think we've had to do a remote call-in. So, he he's still undisclosed, but I think we have him for the radio show. Mike, are you there on the line? Yeah, I'm absolutely here, and it's it's actually your your fault that I'm not in studio, though. <laughs> yeah, it it with the holiday week, and um, man, I think we sent quite a few contracts your way, and are making you work on the weekends, huh? Well, it was funny because I did get away and did do some camping last weekend, but your team was uh, texting me and calling and everything, and I was running numbers remotely and sending out approval letters and for people that we had pre-approved, all those people that you know we got to talk to in advance, those people that you know uh, were proactive and uh, took the steps and got under contract over the weekend. And um, with the holiday being midweek, it's been a crazy week, and uh, I, I'm in town, but I wasn't able to make it, but I'm sitting here working on my laptop. Absolutely. On a weekend, taking care of people. Appreciate you calling in. And actually, Mike, that brings up some of my stats that kind of lead me into a little bit about what, you know, what you're seeing and what's going on. And um, as we ended June, we rounded out and this this number is is one we're excited about on the sales side and inventory side. Active listings as we come into July here running right about 670, which is up about another 70 from the month prior and um, 250 up from a kind of our low that we hit of, of 400. So um, sold and closed in June, 357 sold. And average sold price in June running at 289,500. Um, so we're finally getting some of that inventory back. Um, I mean, people always say, well, what do you expect and what are you looking for? I'm really looking for 1100. I know that's an elusive number, but, (laughs) but, um, you know, I mean, 400 is just the absolute disaster worse, but uh, it starts to feel like we can breathe a little bit now. And like Mike said, shoot, man, now your team like crazy with uh, people getting in. Well, you throw an extra hundred homes on the market. 
you get some more options for people to look at. We're able to write some contracts, get some people into houses that have been looking, and those stats are kind of reflective of what's going on. So absolutely, and another monster, you know, June, like I said, um, previous month, May was 333 closed, June with 357. So it's really, really been a phenomenal, you know, couple months. And now with getting a little bit of inventory, we're super excited to write some more contracts. Hey, Lance, you know, people always ask me, where are all these people coming from? And I can tell you just in the last week, we've got Montana, California, New York, Utah. Okay. And we've got a a combination of people coming in for jobs, um, doctors getting out of residency, getting their first job. Uh, retirees. We've just got a lot of different people. Another One big thing that I'm hearing is, well, my kids got a job there, and they moved there a couple <laughs> years ago, so now I've got grandchildren there. We're retired, so we're going to move there. That is super common. It, it is really common, and actually, you kind of, you really hit the nail on the head. We, my um, much smarter uh, web guru in my office, Ryan, prints out a, he calls it like a heat index map, where he can track the IP addresses of where are the people coming from that are looking at our listings, and California... Oregon, Montana, and the western side of the state um, just absolutely are the hot, hot red areas that, that you see coming here. So, yeah, it's it's really dynamic market right now, and we're putting some absolutely awesome families into some great, great houses. Before we jump into today's solid topic, I always like to start off with our crazy celebrity real estate story. And this week, it's Jeter. Derek Jeter finally deciding to say see ya to his New York castle. Mm. So he actually had about um, about 90-minute drive out of New York. He had purchased, back in 2005, a 12,600-square-foot castle for $1.2 million dollars. Um, six bedrooms, seven baths, five half baths, and the place is absolutely stunning. I mean, absolutely stunning. So, and it sits right on a lake. It's four acres that has 700 feet of shoreline. So, what's interesting is um, his actually his grandfather grew up in that castle when he was adopted in the 1950s by the Tiedemann family. So the home was originally built in 1903, and then the Tiedemann family purchased it purchased it in 1952. So, yeah, his maternal grandfather had actually lived in that house. He went back, purchased it, added some property to it, remodeled it. I mean, this thing is a- absolutely stunning. Yes, it's a castle, but it has, like, four kitchens in it it has all this really eccentric stuff like a statue of liberty replica um it's got a stone turret and now a little (laughs) bit of price increase um it definitely looks like he's wanting to make a permanent move to florida where he's a co-owner of the marlins 
And um, yeah, $14 million now on the market for. But, you know, these extreme houses and the stuff we see, the reasoning in real estate is all the same. When you look at that, okay, we can basically, like Mike just said, why are people moving to Tri-States? A lot of them are retiring. Sort of like his retirement is off to Florida. Or you could say it's a job transfer where he's looking at moving closer to the club that he co-owns. And so, man, it doesn't matter, you know, what income bracket you're at. If you look at life changes, retirement Mm -hmm. age or job transfer, same type of reasons drive people to put those homes on the market. And McKay, I heard Lance say, yeah, it's a castle, but I've never heard that sentence before. <laughs> there you go. Well, uh, it had me at turret. Uh, tur- yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes. uh, McKay, McKay was getting excited over there about firing some shots off, I think. So. There you go. <laughs> well, one of the things we like to do is we always kind of look at our local real estate topics and relate that to what's going in the gone in the market and things that you should be on the lookout for. And man, we had a really, really interesting one come up over the course of the last couple weeks that I thought made a made a great topic for the show. And that was square footage. What is actually the square footage of my house? Now, if you have a house that is built, you know, say pretty standard builder plan in the last 15 years, you're probably going to have really good records of what that square footage is. But then people start to see differences in square footage. They'll say, hey, the assessor site has one square footage or um, the builder had a square footage on the plan, but now the assessor's is different since they've measured the house. And it's really, really important when you go to resell your property that you're giving an accurate disclosure of what the square footage is, or even in the industry, what a lot of people call GLA, and that is gross living area. Mm -hmm. So how does this come up and how does it cause problems, Lance? Well, here's a, a great example. And a lot of times this will happen with, say, a custom home. Maybe somebody um, builds a custom home and you know what? Halfway through they had halfway through the build, they had the original plans at say 1900 square feet, but it, one of the rooms looked too big or they didn't want to encroach on a certain area of the lot, so they bumped that in a little bit, you know, during the build process. Well, one of the things we came up against was there was a listing that was advertising uh, basically 1900 square foot home. And, you know, when the agents were in there and the clients were in there and they looked it, you know, the difference between 1750 and 1900 can sometimes, even if you do this every day, can sometimes be a little difficult to tell. Um, I mean, it's not like we all have a magic square footage sensor that we walk into the house. And I mean, real estate (laughs) agents kind of do after a number of years and you start to look at, at those situations. But if there's high ceilings or an open concept, it can feel bigger um, than maybe, say, a four-bedroom in a three-bedroom space that's a little choppier. So that last 150 square feet can be hard to tell, but I tell you what, this can be a big deal. If you're looking at a market price right now of, say, just an average, say we're in a pretty average neighborhood, it's easy for the appraisers to compare, 
and we're running at say an average of $150 a square foot. Well, if you have a 1900 square foot house and that's what it was advertised, then that gives you a sales price of 285,000. Now, say the appraiser goes out, the appraiser measures the house, realizes that the plans got changed slightly mm-hmm. um, from when the builder was building. Actually, it's 1,750 square feet at $150 a square foot, and McKay's got the calculator out over there. McKay, where's that appraisal going to come in at instead of 285 And that's when we get on the phone like we are today. And we call Mike Denslow, and we say, we say, Mike, why won't your bank give me the money? Well, and it's an appraisal issue, right? It's a comparison <laughs> issue. And I was over here taking notes while you were talking, and I said, hey, what else we need to talk about is the difference of above grade okay. as well. Excellent. Because we've got, we've got some older homes, a lot of older homes built in the 70s, split levels above grade square footage and how that changes things. Um, all of this all this talk about square footage is because of the appraisal. I mean, mostly because of the appraisal. And the appraiser goes out there and measures, and they're 99% accurate. The county, we don't know. I mean, sometimes they get the right number, sometimes they don't. Sometimes they include... You know, the the square footage and the second level of uh, an atrium area where there's stairs and there's no second floor, but they include that. So the appraiser is going to measure all that out. Um, Above grade comes into account when you've got, let's say, 1,500 over 1,500. And somebody's thinking, well, I've got 3,000 square feet, and Lance just said on a show it's 150, so my house should sell for 450,000, right? Uh, if you're no. just listening to the show and misheard us, maybe. Yeah, but you're right. Absolutely not. But that's not how it works. It's, it's The downstairs is valued differently, upstairs is valued differently. So the other note I wrote to myself while we were sitting here is talk to the experts. Call, you know, get get on the phone with your office, have somebody come out, look at the house, and uh, explain why a split level in 1975 at 1500 over 1500 is going to be valued differently than a... You know, a brand new one-level home that or that is three thousand square feet. Mike, you bring up some great points with the multi-levels of the square footage. When we come back, we're coming up against our first hard break here. When we come back, we're going to talk about what does the appraiser say about those multiple levels? What does the assessor say about those multiple levels? And what did Lance say when he was at the house about those multiple levels? (laughs) Right here on News Talk 870. Welcome back to the Tri-Cities Real Estate Update. We've been talking today about what seems like a simple topic, but when we started to write our notes out on it, um, pretty much became an entire show, McKay. And that Mm -hmm. was the different things that happen with square footage. Seems seems pretty straightforward when you first look at it, okay? Length um, times width. Length times width. And and actually, McKay, that is, even in a house of different sizes and angles, 
that is the easiest way to do it. And so what you'll see appraisers do is, in general, a lot of times what you'll do when you're doing the measurement is they'll go out and they will, first thing they will do is draw out kind of the floor plan, like a sketch of the floor plan. And then go through, and the more, just like you said, link times with, the more rectangles you can have, the better off you're going to be because that kind of takes the guesswork out. The stuff that really makes the appraisers and everyone scratch their head is when you go into a house that has, say, like a curved wall. Um, and so, you know, it's like, where do you start there and stop the rectangle? Then you're trying to figure out a radius calculation. Next thing you know, I'm calling geometry teachers at the high school to try to, mm. to try to figure the, to try to figure this out. But, but yeah, triangles and rectangles, the more you can break the space up like that, the more accurate number that you are going to have. The other thing that happens sometimes is we see this all the time and, in general, I would say 80% of the time, and Mike alluded to this before the break, 80% of the time you'll see below grade square footage. So if you have like a tri-level or a mid-level that has under basement square footage, basically, um, below grade square footage, you generally will not see listed on the assessor site. So if you have a house that has that is, say, 1,500 square feet up, and then it has a 1,000 square feet partial basement. Uh, You'll see a lot of people say, oh, well, my house is 2,500 square feet. But it will only be listed on the assessor's site as 1,500 square feet because they're not going to count below grade square footage. Or if it's a daylight basement. Yeah, and that brings up a whole nother point, and that's a great point, McKay. You're catching on to this Well, we grew up in a garrison home in North Richland. Yes. Daylight basements. Daylight basements and a lot of- Full windows. A lot of times what happens with daylight basements is many, many times as cost savings, those are built- unfinished. And so you also have to pay attention to finished versus unfinished square footages. And the appraisers have certain rules that they have to follow. So many times I've seen, say a house is just like we said, say it's 1500 square feet up and a thousand of unfinished basement square footage below. Now, when I come into that house as a real estate agent, um, I'm looking at the top level. I'm looking at similar comps. Maybe I'm looking at comps that have finished basements because I can't find any unfinished ones. It's a really interesting and hard thing that happens because in that situation as a real estate agent, I might say, okay, I got the 1,500 square feet on the first level and I've got that valued at $120 a square foot. I've got good comps to find that. Now, a basement square footage, if we look, we would might say, gosh, I've got really good comparables that show my basement square footage at $80 a foot, finished. Well, I might back out a little bit for improvements. And as a real estate agent, Lance might say, gosh, I think we can get $50 or $60 a square foot for that unfinished basement. Where you really have to be careful in those situations is many, many times an appraiser will value that unfinished basement at maybe only $35 or $40 a square foot, Mm. much like an unfinished garage space would be valued. And so we as agents know there's more value in the market when it's finished, but it's very, very difficult for the appraiser and the bank 
to show that same value with a mathematical equation. And that's where our job gets, I always say in our job pricing, we're, we're 80% scientific, like the appraisers, and then we're 20% artistic. And that's where we have the marketing and the value and the consumer. And so sometimes it's that last 20% that can get us into trouble, but we have to find a way to bridge the gap with the appraisers so that Mike can get the deal done too with the clients because essentially uh, they're only going to lend on what the appraiser says the property is worth. Right. So it's appraised value or purchase price, which is ever lower. So if you agree to 300 and it comes in at 280, everything is based off of 280. If you agree to 300 and it comes in at 325, Hey, great, I got a deal, but the loan would still be based off of the 300. The only other thing that I had to add is, yeah, all this talk about square footage typically has to do with the loan and the appraiser and trying not to have surprises of, oh, you said it was 2,500 and now we measured it and it's 2,300. And if all of the pricing was based off of 2,500 and it's only 2,300, then the seller is not going to be happy. The buyer is going to think that people are trying to, you know, take advantage of them. There's deals could fall apart over the square footage not being correct. Yeah, absolutely. It's really, I mean, it's kind of a fundamental basis that that we're all that we're all working off of. So having the most accurate information for that can can make a big big difference. Another thing to note too which doesn't come into play very often. And in fact, even in our, in our MLS, it's very rare that you see somebody that have uh, these measurements in there. But that GLA that I said, that term of gross living area, generally advertised square footages and what we use are do not include garage square footage. So if you're just looking at square footage advertised of a house, you can't tell if that's a two-car garage or a three-car or four-car. That's that's not an accurate representation of how large the garage is. You have to actually go down into the details and see if they've put in the specific measurements of the garages. And so that that's another thing that is common here and in, I believe, the majority of the country. But we do find strange pockets where people are moving here and asking us about the square footage of the garage. And it always is a little bit of a shocker because that's not common practice in our area. One of the other things that we've noticed, and I just wanted to reach out and say real quick, is Mike, it you know it, it wasn't from you and Home Street, but I, I think you, people still have to be a little bit careful. We got some more of those letters this week from lenders that said um, you are pre-qualified based upon the information the client provided us. It has not been verified. Um, that, that was different language than I'm used to seeing in your letters, Mike. Well, it goes to the professional, the professionalism of the person who's doing it. You know, um, when you're doing a pre-qualification, you know, for somebody who's new to the business, this job is very, very difficult. Um, you're trying to figure out credit, income, assets, and anything potentially else that could ever come up with this client. Um, 
and you're digging into, you know, personal information that they would never, they probably wouldn't even provide to their their parents or their children if it was the other way around. And so you're looking at credit. You're looking at the specific details. You want to have documentation of the income. If they've got a new job, you want an offer letter. If they've been on the job for a while, you want W-2s and pay stubs. If if they're going to put a certain amount of money down, where is that coming from? Is it coming from the sale of a home? Is it is it coming as a gift? Is it coming out of your bank account? Well, then we want to see a couple months of bank statements. What I look at every one of my pre-approvals is that I want to look at, you know, okay, I'm trying to get you pre-approved, but in my mind, I'm trying to figure out what could throw us off. Because if I say somebody is ready to go and they get in the car and then they get this house under contract and those people get another house under contract just the amount of time that you're waste time and money that you're wasting for a whole bunch of people that they will never get back if you make a mistake you know that goes into local lender experience lender rather than the 800 number where the people don't care about their local reputation that, that's absolutely the case, and we appreciate you, like I said in, at the beginning, texting and working with our clients. And, you know, as much as we try to get them in, you know, I occasionally I know we had some deals on the weekend, and we had to send you some text messages and reply about that. And totally appreciate that because that makes a big difference when you start digging into that type of details. Along those same lines, the last detail that I wrote down about today's topic with square footage is it's becoming more and more popular to describe the square footage of outdoor patios. Uh, a lot of times there's a lot of value in there. We're in that summer where um, covered patios, especially, or area under roof is a big deal. I mean, as we start to heat up and we just came off of like the 4th of July barbecues and celebrations is a lot of times now we'll see in the additional comments, someone will say, you know, the house is 4,000 square feet and there's a 20. 500 square foot patio and outdoor kitchen and so look for some of those metrics because as we move forward and get more details about properties um, it's interesting to start seeing square footage of outdoor space becoming a new trend in the real estate descriptions Mike, I want to thank you for um, busting out the additional work for us and um, fitting in a call in between. Kind of fun to talk to you remotely here. We might have to do this a couple more times so so we get more of the shows done. Yeah, I, I, it's a first time for us, but yeah, it probably won't be the last. All right. Well, sounds great. Well, we will be right back here next week. Right here on News Talk 870.